listening to a Sharesies podcast. It's Friday the 1st of April. This is Recap, brought to you by Sharesies. Sharesies is a wealth development platform where our purpose is to create financial empowerment for everyone. Here's the disclaimer. Investing involves risk. You aren't guaranteed to make money and you might lose the money you started with. Any information we provide is general only and current at the time. If you're looking for help with your investment choices, we recommend talking to a licensed financial advice provider. Oh, a cavalcade of uh, strange voices in the intro there. We've got a cavalcade of guests today. Hi, Michael and Vanessa. Kia ora, Jose. Hi, Jose. It's so good to have you guys on the show today. Uh, Michael, let's start with you first. What do you do at Sharesies? What's What's your gaff? So I work in the risk and compliance team at Sharesies, and uh, what that means in plain English is to... Uh, so what we do is basically make sure that we follow all the rules, you know, all the rules that are there to protect to protect investors and, and protect investors' money. So um, uh, it's pretty cool, pretty important job. Yeah, absolutely. And I was, I think we were talking before you. Basically, everybody that goes starts work at Sharesies, it goes through your hands, although not literally. <laughs> no, no, definitely not literally. But I do get to meet everyone, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. And Vanessa, what do you do at Sharesies? I'm a financial communication specialist, so that means that I that I um, think about how we communicate with um, with the investors and what they might need to hear from us and, and, and in what form. So at, at the moment, I work on the lunch money email and and recap, for instance. Great. Yeah, I love I love that lunch money uh, newsletter. So thank, thank you for that. It is Casual Friday, as you all well know, and it means we've got an interview for you on the show. I'm talking to one of the authors of a new report on ethical funds. And what the report aims to find out is if the people running these funds are actually investing sustainably. That's, of course, later on in the show. Hey, Jose, I've got some news to share with you about Simlay. Great, Sinlay. So that's the that's the milk one, right? Exactly. Sinlay is a New Zealand-based milk nutrition company. They produce a range of milk-based products and have a pretty large global customer base. Its largest company uh, customer rather is actually A2 Milk, another pretty well-known New Zealand company. Mm, great, got it. So what's going on with Sinlay? This morning, Sinlay released its half-year financial results, and it actually makes for some pretty interesting reading. Cool. So what's the verdict? How did they do? All the numbers show they've had a really great start to the year. Just to give you some of the highlights, net profit after tax was up 338% to $27.9 million compared to this time last year. Revenue was also up 19% from last year. And on the spending side, debt is down by 19% and capital expenditure is down by 37%. Sinlay says they've managed to achieve these promising numbers with strong cash flows. They've also made some planned reductions in their inventory, which will allow them to press ahead with their capital expenditure plans. And finally, they're continuing to reduce debt to a more comfortable level over the next couple of years. Mm. Are they confident they can keep this up? It's a really good question. Investors should always know that past performance is not an indication of future performance. And we can see that's especially relevant here based on the extra information that Sinlay gave in their announcement. Although, they're still, although they still expect to remain profitable in the second half of the year, they don't expect that their growth will continue at the same rate we saw in today's announcement. Like pretty much every other company in the world, Sinlay is having to deal with the impacts of COVID-19, supply chain issues and labour shortages, which adds a degree of uncertainty to their outlook from the get-go. But on top of that, they're also having to manage rising dairy commodity prices. 
There's some potential for that to work out in their favor a bit further down the track, though, due to some lagged pricing contracts with some of their larger multinational customers. Great. Thank you very much, Michael. Hi, Vanessa. What have you got for us? So do you know what ADRs are, Jose? Uh, Yeah, we've talked about them a little bit on Recap before. Uh, ADR stands for American Depository Receipt. They're basically certificates that represent shares in a company that's listed outside of the United States. Uh, So it's a way for those companies to access the American markets without the hassle of trying to go and list on the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. Exactly. Well, it seems a growing number of Chinese ADRs, like Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent and Didi Global, for example, are having a bit of a rough ride lately. Well, to be fair, it's been a pretty choppy ride for most stocks over the past few weeks. Yeah, that's a good point, Jose. But it seems there's something else going on here. A couple of years ago, the US passed something called the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act. <laughs> that's, that's a bit of a mouthful. It really is. And a whole lot of implications for ADRs. The Act means the US Securities and Exchange Commission, or the SEC, can ban companies from trading and delist them from US exchanges if American regulators aren't given access to company audits for three consecutive years. But in China, it's illegal for auditors to provide their reviews to US regulatory authorities. So Chinese ADRs are literally between a rock and a hard place. So basically what's happening now is that US-listed Chinese companies are beginning to file their annual reports with the SEC for the last financial year. And let me guess, without their audits? You got it, Jose. And when they do, the SEC adds them to a watch list, which makes investors nervous. Okay, so just how big a deal is this? At the moment, it's not really, besides making already jumpy investors a bit jumpier, the SEC hasn't made any noises about banning or delisting ADRs, and nor have any ADRs actually broken the rules yet, because the clock's still ticking on those three consecutive years, and will be until 2024. Right, so I guess it's just a matter of watch the space? Watch this space. Thanks very much for that, Vanessa. Now, last month, the University of Otago's Climate and Energy Finance Group released its findings from a survey of managers of ethical funds. Ethical funds are usually ETFs or exchange-traded funds or other managed funds that aim to invest in what's called ESG values. And ESG stands for Ethical, Social and Governance. And this is a set of standards that investors use to make ethical choices when they're picking what to invest in. And the demand has been so great that there's been a boom in funds organised along ethical lines. Now, this pilot report from the University of Otago tried to collect data around whether fund managers are really motivated by ethical investing or whether they're more motivated by making more money and attracting investors. In other words, are they walking the walk or just talking the talk? Exactly. I talked to one of the authors, Dr. Sebastian Gilreicher, and he told me that their findings were surprising. So then the report has a number of insights in it, and uh, I'll link to the report itself in the episode description. But I did want to just look at a couple today. So the first maybe was maybe having a look at what motivates fund managers to get involved in ethical investing in ESG. Mm-hmm. So what did you find there? Um, so we found, and this is quite important finding, I think, so it's good that you picked that one out. Um, we found that, <laughs> as almost expected, really, most fund managers are driven by value, right? By the financial performance or by the extra clients they'll be able to attract through engaging in these practices or saying they're engaging in these practices. 
and rather than the ethical values that should potentially drive some of these decisions. And I think that's quite important um, for retail investors, particularly to understand that your motivations might be different to those of the fund manager, right? So it creates sort of a conflict of, um, or an agency problem. You've kind of found that most firms, most fund managers, the motivation is, is more about uh, the performance of the fund rather than, rather than their ethical um, responsibilities. Yeah. Is that right? Is that a right summary? Yeah, exactly. It's, the way I like to put it is they're driven by value, whereas some investors might be driven by values. And especially in the US, which I thought was an interesting weighting. Why, why is that, do you think? Um, I'm not particularly sure why. I think it may be mm. a cultural thing. Also, um, the... the the regulation around um, sort of sustainable finance in the US is behind, say, Europe, for example. Um, but I think it may be a cultural thing, um, especially when we look at, you know, the European culture is very much concerned about environmental issues, for example. New Zealand culture versus the US culture is probably also more concerned relatively. So that might be driving that as well. Now, this is probably outside the scope of the report, but if the sole reason the manager of a fund is engaged with ESG aims is because it would make more money, basically, does that really matter? Does it does it follow that the outcomes of that fund are going to be any different? Yeah, so I think um, you know there's two ways of looking at, say, climate change, right? There is the impact climate change has on our financial investments, and then there is the impact our financial investments or business activities have on climate change outcomes. And so if you're purely financially motivated to either have better performance or attract more clients, then you know, you're more concerned around how climate change affects your portfolio. Whereas if you're an investor in New Zealand who's like, oh, I really should change my KiwiSaver to something that aligns with my own ethical mm. values more, well, then you might be wanting a fund manager that also um, acts on, you know, how does this investment affect the climate change outcome rather than the other way around. The other insight I wanted to look at quickly was uh, reporting on the level of emissions uh, you know, generated by portfolios. Um, the impact on climate change was cited as being a really important metric. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, so we looked at, um, I think what you're talking about there is the carbon intensities of portfolios. Yes. Um, and, you know, that's that's a measure of how much emissions a company has relative to either its assets or sales. So it's, it's, a rel- it's a measure that's adjusted for the size of the company. So we can compare across companies and aggregate at the portfolio level. And so what we found that, you know, out of our survey respondents, even though most of them well, sorry, even though the most important topic in ESG for them was mm. climate change, only half of our respondents actually could calculate their portfolio carbon intensity, which is, if you're at all concerned about ESG, it's probably one of the first metrics you should calculate. And it's actually quite easy. Um, and then what, further, what we found is that those that did respond, you know, to our estimation, on average, under-reported what their carbon intensity mm. is. Now, there's all sorts of things that could be driving that. It's an, I'd, I'd call that an initial finding, but it's interesting, and we're looking to go deeper on that um, in this bigger study. 
Right, yeah, that would be really interesting to find out what happens there. Uh, I mean, because you were looking at like scopes one, two, and three. What, can you can you briefly explain what they are? Yeah, so um, scope one emissions are the emissions a company generates directly by their business activities. Scope two incorporates um, their energy use, so the emissions from the power that they use or the other energy sources. And scope three actually includes emissions all across their supply chain. So from all the companies that supply them with products and also the products they supply or emissions they cause. Um, now, again, when we're talking about the carbon intensity of these portfolios, we focused on scope one and two um, in our analysis because scope three emissions are still very underreported and that's because they're very hard to estimate. But those things right. are, those, um, that data and that disclosure is gonna improve as more and more um, regulators force companies to disclose scope one scope two and scope three just as we have in new zealand coming out next year uh, as mandatory climate disclosures mm. there's a lot more uh, in the report and again i'll put a link in the episode description of that but in general uh you know what's your advice for a, a retail investor who wants to make sure that you know the esg funds are invested in are doing what they say they're doing how where does one even start investigating that for themselves yeah, I mean, you know, I spend most of my time thinking about this and it still can get um, very complex for me as well. Um, so yeah. it's, it's a hard question to answer. And I, I just wanted to, you know, what the important message here is that there, there are definitely issues in this industry, whether that's an issue of capability where fund managers want to do something, but they don't haven't quite figured out the you know, best approach for that. Or whether it is fund managers, you know, wanting to get these gains from by attracting more clients, but actually don't want to do anything for the environment, say, you know, that that sort of mismatch is what we're what we're getting at here. Um, for example, another finding that I thought was quite interesting was that mm. fund managers that sign up to climate change initiatives, right? So they say they're doing things for the climate quite directly, actually had higher carbon intensities than other fund managers, right? Wow. So, yeah. yeah, it's really pointing out this issue and trying to get regulators to step in and do some things and provide help. But uh, more direct to your question, um, mm. what can what can your what can retail investors essentially, you know, shares these investors even do at this stage? And um, you know, I always give them free advertising, but Mindful Money is actually a really useful resource that is a third party. It's not owned by any fund managers, um, and they can help you decipher which funds are most aligned with your values. Now, you know, what they do isn't perfect yet. Um, the data they use is also not perfect yet, as we've discussed. But I think at the moment, that's the best resource that, you know, your layman investors have to identify which funds are doing things that align with their values. And they actually have a nice questionnaire where, um, you know, you can essentially say what things you care about, what are your values, and then they pop out those funds that align most with that. So I think that's a really great resource. If you're already invested in a KiwiSaver or a managed fund, then you can actually go in there and have a look at, well, what are these funds invested in? How much fossil fuels? How much animal testing? How much, you know, slave labor, modern slave labor is in their portfolios mm -hmm. and uh, munitions, et cetera. So, you know, again, it's a really simple um, or easy to use tool, I would say, for the general public. And we should all be looking at this. 
Now, you've probably heard Sebastian there hint at something, uh, and what he was hinting at was uh, a bigger and wider study is coming. There was actually, uh, that, that was actually a small pilot report, but their findings have been so interesting, they're going to widen out to a much bigger sampling of managers around the world and essentially just do a full noise study. So look for that to be published in the next two years or so. And that brings us to the end of the show. That was Recap for the 1st of April. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Our email is recap at sharesease.co.nz. And if you'd like, you could also leave us a voice message. There's a link to do that in the episode description. Thanks, and please join Recap next week. Have a great weekend. We'll see you then. Matiwa.